some people came down from Judea teaching the family of believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom we received from Moses, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas took sides against these Judeans and argued strongly against their position. The church at Antioch appointed Paul, Barnabas, and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem to set this question before the apostles and the elders. The church sent this delegation on their way. They traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, telling stories about the conversation of the Gentiles to everyone. Their reports thrilled the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, the church, the apostles, and the elders all welcomed them. They gave a full report of what God had accomplished through their activity. Some believers from among the Pharisees stood up and claimed, the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must be required to keep the law from Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After much debate, Peter stood and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know that early on, God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God knows who, God who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way, by the grace of the Lord Jesus. All right. Hey, thank you, Katie. Thanks thank for reading scripture know. for us today. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Okay, uh, so I pray that we may come to know God better uh, through the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. So today we are going to be talking about a, uh, a church meeting, um, and that may not seem too exciting uh, for many of you because many of you have sat through church meetings where you have had to pinch yourselves from falling asleep. But this isn't one of those meetings uh, because this meeting was about a huge controversy in the church that was threatening to divide the church. This was the first big controversy in the early church. And this controversy is, is so applicable to the modern church today. This controversy is, is the reason why, why some of you left church years ago, or, or the reason why your parents left the church, or your friends, or your children, or your grandchildren. It's, it's why people are, are spiritual, but maybe not religious. It's why people believe in God. They want some answers about eternity and, and how to live an honorable life, but, but they just don't think that they will find those answers inside of a church. And so the controversy was, was really this, who gets to be the church? Who, who gets to be a part of the church? Who, who gets in? How, how good do you have to be? How holy do you have to be to come here? How much of your lifestyle do you have to clean up before you can be accepted? What does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus in your lifestyle? And the controversy is, is really understandable if you understand what was going on in the first century. 
And so this story that, that Katie just read for us uh, today um, takes place about 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And it takes place right after Paul had just finished his first missionary journey, where he was spreading the good news of Jesus to all of these non-Jewish people. Uh, particularly, he had just left the city of Antioch. We're going to get there in a minute. Now, the Jewish people during this time, they, they had the Ten Commandments, they had the 600 some laws that you had to keep if you were to practice Judaism. And all of the early Christians were Jewish until Paul shows up and Peter had this encounter with Cornelius, as we talked about last week. But the early Christians, they considered themselves fully Jewish and, and they believed that Christianity was, was just an extension of Judaism, because after all, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And, and all of that is still true for us today. Christianity is not against Judaism. We're all brothers and sisters of our ancestor Abraham. Uh, Christianity is an extension of Judaism. That's why our Christian Bibles have the Old Testament in them. But the problem here, and the problem in the first century was that many of these early Jewish Christians assumed that in order to become a follower of Jesus, first you had to become a follower of Moses and, and all of the Old Testament laws. And, and we can't blame them. I mean, we would think the same thing if we were living in their time. It, it made perfect sense. And, and even Jesus said so himself. He said, look, I didn't come to abolish the law. I, I didn't come to, to get rid of everything that you had learned before. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. But then you had all these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, uh, followers of Jesus saying, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Before we undergo this, this sensitive surgery and, and we have to change our, our diets and our wardrobes and, and all of that, we just need to clarify something because Paul told us that Jesus died for our sins and that we have peace with God through the grace and love of Jesus. We didn't hear anything about following all of these Old Testament laws. In fact, we don't even know what that is. We, we've never been to a synagogue before. And so both the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, they, they needed some clarity on this. And so let me take you back to, uh, to this passage uh, the first verse of this passage, it says, some people came down from Judea. Now, these weren't just some people going somewhere. These were the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, uh, in the hub of Judaism and Christianity at the time. And they're going down to the city of Antioch, where Paul had just left preaching the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And, and hundreds of Gentiles became followers of Jesus. And so the Jewish Christians come behind Paul after he had just witnessed to all of these people. All these people just became followers of Jesus. These Jewish Christians come up behind Paul. They go down to Antioch and it says, uh, teaching the family of believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom we've received from Moses, you can't be saved. And so essentially what, what they're saying here. What they're saying here is that um, you first have to clean up your act. You, you, have to, you have to do some rituals, and then you can be a church person. And for many of us, that's why we may have dropped out of church, that we, we just didn't feel good enough to be a church person. 
We, we wanted a relationship with God, but religion with all of its rules and rituals seemed to just get in the way of that relationship. And, and so maybe, maybe for some of you, you, you just called the whole thing off. But, but here's what I want you to know. And this is a little bit of a spoiler uh, for the story, but that is not the message of the good news that the church decided to adopt. The message that the church decided to adopt was that God's grace was for all and that God's grace was in all. God's grace is, is for all and God's grace is in all. Nobody is excluded. You don't have to behave a certain way before you can belong. You don't have to be good enough before you're good enough for God. It's, it's grace and it's grace that saves us. Grace is what saves us. But I also don't want us to miss the tension of this particular moment because we get it. If we've been in the church for any amount of time, we, we know that, that Christianity calls for a higher ethical standard. I mean, we see all throughout the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus, that, that there is a certain way that we ought to treat our neighbor. There's a certain way we ought to treat our enemy. There's a certain way that we are to speak, a certain way that we are to manage our relationships and manage our money. And, and at the same time, there's this incredible message of grace. But just because there's grace doesn't mean that we keep on going on sinning, right? And, and so, so there's this conflict. There seems to be this conflict between truth and grace, this, this conflict between the, the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Jesus taught about how we ought to live, and the grace of the gospel, what Jesus did on our behalf. The, the conflict is between truth and grace. And so whenever there is a conflict, religious people, they get really weird. And, and whenever there's a conflict, religious people have a tendency to start building walls and, and writing in all of these bylaws to protect what, what they think is right. But here's the really amazing thing, that as followers of Jesus, we, we understand, as, as John, the gospel writer, John tells us that Jesus was all grace and all truth. He, he wasn't the balance of grace and truth. That's what we as human beings like to do. And that's what churches like to do. We like to try to balance grace and truth and, and mix them together. And, and I'll confess that I'm not perfect like Jesus. I, I too try to balance grace and truth instead of being simultaneously all grace and all truth all at once. But when the church does get this right, when the church does get this right, it's amazing that, that it's not just a, a clean up yourself first before you can come to us, nor, nor is it, let's just throw everything out all, just so that we can feel good. But when the church gets this right and doesn't try to balance grace and truth, but instead embodies grace and truth, that's when the presence of Jesus becomes irresistible. And the early church was wrestling with this collision of grace and truth, the, the grace of Jesus for, for all nations and the truth of what God had revealed through the law of Moses. And so let's return back to our story. So some church people 
left from Jerusalem, went down to Antioch to meet these brand new Christians and said, unless you are circumcised, you cannot become a Christian. Unless you have had a surgery, you cannot be saved. And, and the Christians in Antioch are thinking, wait, 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 wait. Paul didn't tell us about that very important detail. Yeah, he seemed to left that sensitive detail out, didn't he? It's salvation by surgery. Now, this was serious, serious business here because men, you had to join the Moses Club before you could join the Jesus Club. And so Paul and Barnabas, who started this church and told these Gentiles that they were saved by faith, not by works or surgery, they were a little bit upset by this. And so they go up to Jerusalem and they try to clear the air. And so it says, uh, it says this, it says, after much debate, Peter, who is like the president of the first church, stood up and addressed them. Fellow believers, uh, you know that early on, God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God, who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Okay. Now, this is this is so so important that that God purified their thoughts through faith. And 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 the question was, okay, God may have purified their hearts, but but they still have some nasty gentile habits. They they still don't dress right. They still don't eat right. They still don't ba 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 ba. And then look at verse 10 here. And and this is just so powerful. Peter goes on and he says, why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear, that we either, neither we nor our ancestors could bear? And so Peter is saying, now, now, isn't it true that you have broken the law? Isn't it true that you haven't kept perfectly all 613 of these Old Testament laws? And so where does that place you if you're going to use these laws to, to justify people? Well, it makes you guilty, right? And, and, and what is it that you need for your guilt? Forgiveness, right? And so the same goes for them as it does for you. And then Peter goes on and he says this. He says... Um, he says, on the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. He, he's saying, look, let's, let's not be hypocrites here, okay? God came to us the same way God came to them. What, what a powerful statement. And then James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and he gives this amazing speech and, and he concludes it by saying this. He says, therefore, I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We, we shouldn't make it difficult for people who are trying to turn to Jesus. Wow. I mean, sometimes... This movement 
James is saying, sometimes this movement, it, it's going to get messy and, and we aren't going to be able to sort it all out. But, but I know this, that we shouldn't create problems for people who are turning to God. And, and this isn't about people who are here, but about people who, who aren't here yet. And anything that makes it unnecessarily difficult is against the will of God. Instead, this is what we should do. He says we should write a letter explaining to the Gentiles some some ground rules, some some things that are off limits for our life together. And so James goes on and he says this in verse 20. He says, instead, we should write a letter telling them to avoid rule number one, the pollution associated with idols. Rule number two, sexual immorality. You want to define that? Now, just the Gentiles know what I mean when I say that because of their practices in the temple. Uh, Rule number three, eating meat from strangled animals. And rule number four, consuming blood. After all, Moses had been proclaimed in every city for a long time and is read aloud every Sabbath in every synagogue. Four things. That's it. Just just those four things? I mean, what about the other 609 laws? Nope, that's it. Really, this was about the religious practices of the pagans that would have been offensive to their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. It, it all had to do with Greek and Roman religious practices. And, and so James and Peter are saying, look, just Gentiles, just be sensitive to your Jewish brothers and sisters. You you will have to give up some of your Gentile practices, but hey, good news, no surgery. Come on in, join the church, and be a part of the gathering. And with that, the church dodges the first big split. And it was a split over grace. Who's in? Who's out? How good is, is good enough? Don't worry about that, the church says. Don't worry about that. We've we've decided that Jesus has already settled the debate on the cross. Now, this was a big deal, Not, not only for the early church, but for every local church, every denomination, every every generation who has had their own struggle with this. I mean, we've had the same conversations over women in ministries. Uh, minorities, divorce, and, and currently LGBTQ plus persons and, and much else. And, and this was a big deal. And today we, we can't go into every issue and, and wrestle with it. And also because that's not really biblical, as we see here in this passage, res- resolution and justice comes about through dialogue. Uh, but instead, I, I want to I give us just kind of like three things to avoid. These three different drifts to watch out for, because if we're not intentionally making ourselves aware of them, then we will inevitably drift towards them. And, and so the first, the first drift that we have to watch out for is to avoid the drift towards insiders and away from outsiders, because every church has a tendency to drift towards insiders. These are the people who, who know where to sit. They, they know the songs. They, they know the routine. And, and every local church drifts towards insiders. It seems to be just kind of like human nature. And we also know this, that, that the squeaky wheel 
is the one who gets the grease. And so who do we hear squeaking the loudest? The people on the inside. And so in order for the church to be the church that Jesus envisioned, we have to be outsider focused. I mean, that's why the church exists. That's that's Jesus's mode of ministry, leaving the 99 and going after the one lost on the outskirts. And so how we how we get over this this drift towards focusing on insiders is is to be bold. That that that's what we've talked about for the first like 3 weeks or so of this series is, is to be bold. Let's let's be bold in who we invite to be a part of this movement. Let's let's make sure people uh find this place to be a place where where they they don't feel like they have to be good enough. And and they may not feel like like church people, but we make sure that they always feel welcomed at our church. That the people who have been hurt and burned by the church are invited, encouraged, and, and included in becoming our kind of church people, full of grace and full of truth. And so uh, the second drift for us to avoid is, is the drift towards law and away from grace. And this isn't just a theological statement, but this is also a practical statement. Because all theology is is practical in the way that it is lived out. And, and every lo- local church has a tendency to drift towards law. We, we drift towards policies and categories and traditions. And as silly as it sounds, the argument, well, we've never done it that way before, it actually carries a lot of weight. And and it's not to say that we need to get rid of all law and policy. Of course not. And that's not what the early church decided as well. But we have to, we have to learn to lean on the side of grace. Because if we're going to make a mistake, if we're going to go too far either way, we need to err on the side of grace. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God erred on the side of grace for you? That God didn't come to you and say, look, I can save you, but but first you have to clean yourself up and, and follow all of these laws. I mean, I'm grateful and, and I'm indebted to that. And so I will always err on the side of grace. All right, and, and here's here's just the last one. It's to avoid the drift towards preservation and, and away from risk. And, and this is the last one. I'll, I'll shut up after this. But to avoid the drift towards preservation and away from risk, that Jesus certainly preserved things, but he never opted for preserving over advancing. He was always willing to risk wh- whatever it was and, and however it was always done before in order to advance the kingdom. But this happens in, in such subtle ways in the church that churches, uh, we get some people, then we get some more people, and then we don't want to upset those people. And then they might get a building and then some more buildings. And then it's not just the pastor doing everything, but now there's some staff and some volunteers. And we want to preserve what we have built, what we have accomplished. And preserving isn't a bad thing if by preserving we continue to advance. But preserving for the sake of preservation that goes against God's kingdom. That, that this isn't about us. It, it's so much bigger than that. This is about Jesus. And so the way to overcome this is to remain just open-handed. That so often we hold so tight what we want to preserve, but risk takes us holding our hands out. Hold your hands out. 
And, and, and it's hard because we have a lot to protect, but we also have so much to lose by keeping our fist clenched. And so I'm convinced that, that if we can avoid these three drifts, then perhaps God will use us as a church. And perhaps God will use you. So won't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you erred on the side of grace for us. Lord, that you didn't count our sins against us, but Lord, you took all of them to the cross for our sake. And by your cross, you reconciled not only us to you, but God, through that, you reconciled all of us together. Lord, you made us one, a new humanity through your blood, Lord Jesus. And for that, God, we are indebted. We're grateful. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be your church. Help us, help us to be your presence here on the earth, in, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work. God, help us to be at the church for the strangers, for the lonely, for the church people, and for those people who feel like they could never step foot inside of a church. Lord, help us to be the church. Lord, help us to shine your light in the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.